awesome job, worship team. Let's give our appreciation to the worship team. So good, so good. Awesome, well, welcome to church. Man, we're already having a great Sunday. So, so good. But hey, we are in week two of this new Kingdom Builders series. And um, is there a little bit of feedback? There's feedback. Um, Last month, we talked about kingdom or bust, talking about what does it look like to seek God and his kingdom first. This week, or this month, we're expounding on that and saying, okay, we, we get the idea of the kingdom of God and that we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, but what does that look like lived out in individuals' lives to get some handles on it? Um, and so last week, Eric started out the series talking about Abraham and laid the foundation that we have to have a foundation of faith to be a kingdom builder. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We talked about um, to be a kingdom builder requires faith, faith in the unknown, faith for provision, and, and faith that involves sacrifice, Faith is central to how we operate as kingdom builders. If we want to be kingdom builders, if we want to live kingdom or bust lives, we have to operate in faith in every area of life. Um, this morning, we're going to take a look at a group of people in the Bible, the Israelites, and how they left a season of comfort to seek God first in all things. We're going to talk about the Jews when they were in captivity in Babylon and when God led them out and how they had to leave comfort to seek God first in all things. Let's pray and then we'll continue. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this morning. And God, we just pray that you stir our hearts in a fresh way. Lord, we want to be kingdom builders. We want to live lives that have a kingdom or bust mentality. And so, Lord, strengthen us. Give us courage to do that with great faith and to do that with great courage. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're talking about how to be a kingdom builder requires leaving what is comfortable to seek God first, leaving what is comfortable. To be a kingdom builder, we're going to have to leave something. To be a kingdom builder, we're going to have to leave things that are comfortable, things that are convenient, things that are easy. Um, and it's hard. sometimes that can be hard, right? But it's always, always worth it. Oftentimes to be a kingdom builder, we have to leave something of some sort. And this will all make more sense in a minute. So we're going to zoom in this morning to the first chapter of the book of Ezra with the Israelites in the time of Babylonian exile. Last week, we talked about Abraham. Today, we're talking about the Jews in Babylonian captivity. And I just want to real quick give you a quick history because maybe you're like, huh, Babylonian, what? Captivity? When was that? I don't know what you're talking about. I understand. Honestly, this is the first time as I was preparing for this message that I really did a deep dive into the Jews' captivity in Babylon. It wasn't something that I had studied a lot before. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, Babylonian captivity, what, huh? Was that in the Bible? I don't know. Where, where are you at on this? Don't worry. I'm going to catch you up real quick. So last week we talked about Abraham and how God called Abraham to leave his hometown, to go to the land that God was going to show him. Abraham lives by faith and follows God, and his descendants, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they start to build a people group in the land that God had called them to, Israel. 
Then over numerous years, there became a famine in the land, and God miraculously provided through Joseph in Egypt. So God's people left Israel to go to Egypt for a season. You guys tracking? When they're in, e they're in Egypt for a while, then God miraculously raised up Moses, the leader, to get them out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt to go back to the land that he had called them. That's where we see the Red Sea split and manna from heaven and all these miracles. And so God's people are back in Israel. Then while they are in Israel, there's numerous years where God raised up numerous different kings and judges and leaders within Israel. Two weeks ago, we talked about King David and his son, King Solomon, and how they built the first temple. King David was the second king of Israel, and so that was early on. They built the first temple, and so there's all these kings. And over time, there were some good kings and there were some bad kings. Over time, everything just got corrupted until really all of the Jew, many of the, the majority of the Jewish hearts were far from God. The kings had turned their back on God. The, the priests, the leaders in the temple had defiled the temple. It was bad. And God was sending messenger after messenger, like, repent, turn back to me, or judgment is coming. They didn't. They didn't turn from their ways. And so God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come in and capture Jerusalem and take captive the Jews at that time and bring them into captivity in Babylon. Those Jews saw the burning of the temple, their houses got destroyed, they were literally taken captive to a foreign country. That's where we enter the story. You guys tracking? So that's where we enter the story, and it's 586 AD, and there's 20,000 Jews that have been exiled, taken captive into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Um, all of the leaders, they, they especially made, made it a point to capture all of the leaders, all of the governmental leaders of Israel, all of the um, temple workers, all of that. And they brought them into captivity in Babylon. But the interesting thing about this is unlike when they were in captivity in Egypt, in Egypt they were forced into slavery, right? It was not good. In Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar took the best leaders from the Jews and elevated in, in, them into high official roles in his palace. We have people like Daniel and like Queen Esther and like Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar actually promoted some of these Jews that had high leadership capacity. And we see from Bible history and from just history of the world that the Jews actually really prospered in Babylon. It wasn't like their time in Egypt where they were slaves. They prospered. There's historical documents that show that Jew, Jewish families owned land. They owned home. They were wealthy bankers in the community. They were flourishing. Although they missed home, they were actually prospering in a great way in Babylon. After 50 years of being in Babylon, Babylon fell. And King Cyprus, who is the leader of Persia, took over Babylon. And God moved in a mighty way in King Cyprus's heart to have favor towards the Israelites. And King Cyprus made an announcement to the Jews and said, hey, I have it in my heart to allow you guys to go back to your homeland, to rebuild your temple, and I'm going to provide you with everything you need. We see that in Ezra 1, 2 through 3. It says thus, says King Cyprus of Persia, all of the kingdoms of earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. He has commanded me to build him a house 
at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so King Cyprus says to the Jews, who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, um, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. This is wild. All of a sudden, King Cyprus is saying, hey, God gave me a good idea. I think you guys should go back home. I think you should go back to the land of your ancestors and rebuild the temple, and I'm going to provide you with everything you need to do it. And King Cyprus says, who of you wants to go? Who of you are God's people and you want to go? I want to just pause right now and dive into the humanity of this moment. This is 50 years from the captivity, 50 years from the capture of Jerusalem. Most of the Jews alive at this time were born in Babylon. Most of the people right now in Babylon have never seen the first temple. They've never actually had their feet in the land of Israel. The 70-year-old Jews in Babylon right now, they were 20 years old when they were captured. The 60-year-olds at this time in Jerusalem, in Babylon, they were school-age kids when they were captured and taken to Babylon. Everyone 50 years and younger in Babylon at this time were born in Babylon, and all they know of the temple, all they know of temple worship, all they know of Jerusalem is what their grandparents and great-grandparents had passed down to them. We talk about the importance of teaching our children about the kingdom of God. And so here they have this moment to go back to their homeland, but it's not really their homeland. It is their homeland, but it's, it's their grandparents and their great-grandparents' homeland, and it's the land that God has called their family to, but they've never actually been there before. We also know that during this time there was what we would call house churches, like the devout Jews continued to worship this exile is a little bit like our COVID exile that we had for seven months where we didn't have a home. And we were meeting in homes and worshiping and breaking bread and opening up scripture together. The Jews experienced that for 50 years. Can you imagine? 50 years, they were opening up scripture together in homes and celebrating Sabbath together and continuing <clears throat> to celebrate and continuing to believe without the temple worship, without the large gathering. <clears throat> And like I mentioned, the Jews were prospering in the land at this time. They had homes, they had land, they had flourishing businesses. Like, life was going well. Why would they leave? But during this time, God was super vocal through the prophets, through Isaiah and through Jeremiah during this whole time. Scripture after scripture of them prophesying and saying, you're only going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And when the opportunity arises, make sure you leave Babylon. <clears throat> The prophets made it clear going to be, there's going to be 70 years between the destruction of the first temple and the completion of the rebuilding of the second temple. We see this in Isaiah 48, 20. Isaiah prophesies and says, leave Babylon, <clears throat> flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it, send it out to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. The prophet Jeremiah was saying the same thing at the time. He said, flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like goats that lead <clears throat> the flock. So 20,000 Jews were taken captive 50 years previously, but now there's like 100 to 150,000 Jews in Babylon that are hearing this proclamation of King Cyprus. Hey, go back and rebuild your temple. Go back to your homeland. You don't have to be here anymore. 
And I can imagine at this time, you know, we, we don't have all of the names of all the people. But out of these 100, 150,000 Jews, I can imagine that maybe there was like a 20-year-old Dan who was in university at the University of Babylon, planning to take over his family's business, engaged to the woman of his dreams, and he hears this announcement from the king, and he remembers what Grandma Leah always told him about, you know, Dan, Dan boy, when they open up the borders and when you have a chance to get back to Jerusalem, you better take it. And he's thinking to himself, wow, grandma might have been right. Maybe this is what God's doing in my generation, but man, I'd have to stop going to university and I'm not going to take over the family business. My dad worked so hard to build, and, but maybe this is what God is doing. Or maybe out of those 100, 150 thousand people, there was a 37-year-old couple, Talia and Dave. Maybe they had three kids. Maybe he was a carpenter, and maybe she was a teacher, and their kids were in school and playing sports, and they were deeply enrooted in their community. They had been born in Babylon, but their grandparents were born in Jerusalem, and they knew full well what God was doing. I can imagine this couple was devout believers Maybe they met in the Jewish community. Maybe their families celebrated Sabbath as they grew up. They read the Torah together. They practiced the Sabbath. And they always desired to go back to Jerusalem. But now it's right in front of them. And now to go, they'd have to sell the business and sell the home. And they've got three young kids. And it's a four-month journey on foot to go back to Jerusalem. I can imagine them having heartfelt conversations at night while the kids are sleeping, like, are we really going to do this? I know the prophets keep telling us to leave Babylon, but man, we've got a really nice life here. What are we going to do? I can imagine that out of that 100 and 150,000 people, there was maybe a 58-year-old man named John who was eight years old when the Babylonians came. He remembers the temple burning down. He remembers losing family members on the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. I can imagine maybe he's a teacher in the Jewish community. I can imagine he was so excited when he heard the announcement that King Cyprus made. I can imagine he's going door to door to everyone in the Jewish community. Come on, we're going to go home. We're going to go rebuild that temple. Can you see the humanity of this moment? So King Cyprus made the announcement, and then the Jews responded, and we see this in Ezra 1, 5 through 9. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, and all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and precious things, besides all that was willingly offered." I have a love-hate relationship with this scripture. I was studying this, you know, reading and just starting to, you know, get familiar with the text two weeks ago. And I came to this verse and like I couldn't study for the next two days. Because as I read that, I was excited that there were people whose hearts, spirits God had moved to go and build the house. But you can infer through that scripture that not everybody went. And that bothered me. And I was like, okay, it definitely means that not everybody went. But God, there must have been a good reason why some of them didn't go. Like, I've got to be missing something 
here. Because when God freed his people from Egypt, they all went. No one stayed back in slavery. But now they're prospering in Babylon and not all of them went. God, there's got to be like a good reason for that. There's got to be a justifiable reason for that. Why didn't they leave? Why didn't all of them go? Bothered me, really bothered me. As you study it out, you can see some of them didn't go because they were elderly. They couldn't make the four-month journey on foot. I get that. But not all of them were elderly. And then you look through scripture and you see that it was so clear that it was God's will that they leave Babylon. The prophets had been prophesying that for years. Leave Babylon. Flee Babylon. Don't stay there. They were not supposed to stay. As you read in scripture more in the book of Ezra, you see that around 42 to 45,000 Jews left out of the 100 to 150,000 that were there. So half to a third left. And two-thirds stayed. What? And then I remembered what the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. He had said that it would be that way. I mean, Isaiah. Isaiah in Isaiah 10, 22, it says, For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. There was a great historian at the time, Josephus, and he wrote about this, and this is what he said. He said, Many remained in Babylon, being unwilling to leave their possessions. Wow. Kingdom builders are willing to leave their comfort. Kingdom builders are willing to leave comfort. These 42,000 Jews that left, they were kingdom builders. They left their comfort to go do what God was calling them to do. You know, God is always doing something in every generation. In every generation, God is calling his people to leave their comfort zone to do his will on earth. This is what God was doing on earth in the time of the Babylonian exile. The Bible goes on to chronicle what these 42,000 Jews did who left and not what those that stayed did. It goes on to talk about they got to Jerusalem and they all used their talent, their treasure, and their time to joyfully rebuild the temple and reestablish community in Jerusalem. This was a story that God was writing in this generation. And to build what God was building, it required his people leave some comfort and security. Anything significant that God calls us to is going to require us leaving comfortable things. God's going to challenge all of us to serve and to lead in ways that are not comfortable, that are not convenient. He's going to call all of us to give sacrificially in a way that doesn't seem secure or logical. He's going to call all of us to live lives of holiness that are not comfy lives. So these kingdom builder Jews who left their, left their homes, they went on a four-month journey on foot. It was a 1,700-mile journey from, Jerus- or from um, Babylon to Jerusalem. We're planning to go to Florida with the kids here in a little bit. Florida, Orlando is 1,100 miles away. Can't imagine walking there. <laughs> 
Salt Lake City is 1,700 miles away. And they took this journey before cars. They took it before hotels. They took it even before gas station bathrooms. Four months on an animal or on foot with the toddler, I can't imagine. Talk about leaving your comfort when they could have just been sleeping in their comfy bed at home in Babylon. Can you imagine if we came up here next Sunday and said, hey guys, we feel like God is calling us to plant a live family church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Who wants to go? You're going to have to sell your house and quit your job and, and, and God's calling us to walk there. So who wants to walk there for the next four months? That's wild, right? Obviously in our context, we could fly or we could take a car or whatever. But that's, what, that's how much they left their comfort. And here we are taking a look at, God, how could we leave our comfort to give to the new building campaign? Could I give up that Starbucks every day? I don't know. I don't know if I could delay the vacation to have the resources, right? And the Jews in the Babylonian exile are like, come on, right? No, these Jews left everything comfortable to follow God's call to rebuild his temple. And you might be wondering, I know I was wondering, what happened to the Jews who stayed back? What happened to them? This is so interesting, and it's a whole other message for a whole other day, but I'll give you a snapshot. So the Jews that stayed back, their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren who were living 70 years later in Babylon at the time of King Xerxes, at the time of Esther, almost got completely murdered if it weren't for God's grace through, King, or through Queen Esther. You think about that? Scripture talks about how oftentimes we don't pay the penalty for our sin, but our children's children do. And so the Jews that stayed back, they didn't experience any immediate consequence, but their children's children almost did if it weren't for the grace of God through Queen Esther. But then right after God miraculously saves his people through Queen Esther standing up, then there was another, a second and a third wave of Jews that went back to the homeland. And then, and then not until like 1940 when Israel became a nation was there a huge influx of Jews from Iraq into Jerusalem. Wow, what a story. To be a kingdom builder requires that we leave our comfort. I want to end with this. Being a kingdom builder also requires that we leave Babylon. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. Because it's one thing to leave what's comfortable. The thing that was really alluring was Babylon. It was leaving the allure of Babylon because Babylon was alluring. Babylon was exciting. It was pretty. It was prestigious. It was edgy. There was something about Babylon that drew you in and made you want more but never fully satisfied. It was impressive and it took your breath away. Do I have any parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or anybody who has kids in their life who has ever seen the movie Zootopia? If you haven't, it's okay. 
There's this scene, there's this scene in Zootopia where Judy Haps is leaving the carrot farm and she's on her way to Zootopia and she's on this train that's weaving through the outskirts of Zootopia and Zootopia is like, whoa, breathtaking, amazing. And as she's swerving through the train looking at Zootopia, this Shakira song comes on and it's, <laughs> you guys know what it is. Uh, uh, try everything and it's like this wow Zootopia moment that's what Babylon was it was impressive it was alluring and that song try everything by Shakira it's got it's really great catchy song but really that's a great theme song for Babylon try everything whatever feels good do it one more experience one more hit one more high if you want it, buy it. No limits. You're your own God, Babylon. The impressive, I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of Dubai, their buildings and the way the people live there. You're like, do people really live like that? That was Babylon. That um, impressiveness. It was a lavish place. It was a breathtaking place. And when the Jews were living in Babylon, it was at the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar and that's when Babylon was at its height. Maybe you've heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Like this place was breathtaking. It was there at the time that the Jews were living there. But Babylon is a trap. It's super impressive. It's super alluring. But Babylon is a trap because it never makes good on its promises. You end up trying everything, but you leave emptier less fulfilled, more depressed than you were when you arrived. And Babylon was a location, but Babylon is also a spirit or a culture or a mindset. Babylon is still alive today. Babylon fell 20,000 some years ago, but the Bible still speaks of the spirit of Babylon. The allure, the mind frame, the culture of Babylon is that life without God is more exciting, it's more alluring, it's more, you have more success with it, it's more abundant. The culture of Babylon says you need more and more and more and more and more. The culture of the kingdom says give it all away. Culture of Babylon says only the cool people can come. The culture of the kingdom says everyone is invited. Babylon, Babylonian culture says never stop hustling. Culture of the kingdom says you work and then you rest. The culture of Babylon says limits is bondage. The culture of the kingdom says sin is bondage. Culture of Babylon says, hey, if it feels good, do it. The culture of the kingdom says, if God says it, then I'll do it. The Babylonian culture says, promote your life at all costs. Kingdom culture says, I'm going to lose my life to gain it. Babylonian culture says, I am loved because I love myself. Kingdom culture says, I am loved because God loves me. Babylonian culture says, I'm going to do everything else first, and if I have time, then I'll let God in. Kingdom culture says, God first always. That Babylon was a, a location 
that was alluring, but it's a spirit that is alluring and tempting as well. As kingdom builders, we have to acknowledge, you know, the culture that we live in right now is a Babylonian culture. We live in a Babylonian culture right now. We've got to ask ourselves, although we're living in Babylon, does Babylon live within us? I've been grappling with that all week as I'm studying this. God, what part of the Babylonian spirit is within me? What part do I need to repent of and be kingdom or bust in every way? To be kingdom builders, we have to separate ourselves from Babylon. Are you willing to not only leave the comfort of Babylon, but also the allure of it? the deception of it, the trap of its promise. I don't know what it means for you. Maybe there's a lifestyle that you're entertaining or engaged in, but you know it's not the holy set-apart, life-giving life that God has for you. Maybe it's material things that have a hold on you that you desire to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate instead of looking for ways to give it away. Maybe there's exciting things happening in your life that are filling up your schedule and God is getting the leftovers. Maybe there's comforts and luxuries in life that you're not willing to leave for the sake of thy kingdom come. Babylon is a trap. It's an adulterous trap, putting our love and affection and trust in something other than God. If we want to be kingdom builders, we have to not only leave comfort, but leave Babylon. You guys tracking with me? Is this heavy? This is heavy. It's about to get a little bit heavier. Are you guys ready? Because Babylon is actually talked about a lot in the book of Revelation. And you say the book of Revelation, people are like, whoa. Book of Revelation is the Apostle John's revelation of, of the end times. And Babylon is all over it. Not just the location, but the spirit of it. Because the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of the culture of the world that is the most anti-God thing in the world. That, that traps and seduces the people of God. And so in the book of Revelation, John, pure John, is having this moment, having this vision. And in Revelation 17, he has this vision of this woman who is personifying Babylon. And she's riding on a beast, and she is like a showstopper. She's got jewels and pearls, and she's radiant, and she's alluring, and she's riding on this beast, and it, it's a personification of um, Babylon. And in Revelation 17, John says, I said, whoa. Not really, but it says something like he was shocked or he was amazed. It's, I think it says he was in awe or he was amazed, like, wow, Babylon. Goes on in verse 18 to really reveal exactly what Babylon is. I'm going to read it for you guys. Revelation 18, 2 through 4, it says, Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. They have given her their love instead of giving their love to God. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come away from her! My people don't take in her sins! Or you'll be punished with her. Wow. 
So back when the Jews were in Babylonian exile, God raised up Isaiah and Jeremiah to say, flee Babylon. In the end days, God through John is prophesying to us and saying, get away from Babylon. Get as far away from this culture and this spirit as you can because it's a trap. And it looks like she's this amazing thing and it's so alluring and everyone else is doing it. But her death is coming and all of those who fall into her, into her snare. Wow. Come away from Babylon. Leave Babylon if we want to be kingdom builders. You guys good still? I believe that God's doing a new thing in us at Alive. I really do. He's stirring us up in such a fresh way. He has a new thing that he's doing in us and it starts this baseline point of saying, God, I'm willing to leave the comfortable. God, I'm willing to leave the areas that I have allowed Babylon to creep into my heart because I want to be kingdom or bust in every way. So we're going to close here in a minute with a song called New Thing. God, do a new thing in my heart. Let God seek your heart in this next moment. God, is there any Babylon in me? Anything that is alluring and is a trap and it's pulling me away from to God and his ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And God, we want to have that same kingdom or bus mentality as the Jews did who said, I'm going to leave my house. I'm going to leave my company. I'm going to leave everything comfortable. I'm going to leave everything, all the comfort and luxury of Babylon because your kingdom is more valuable. God, give us that same kingdom or bus mentality. Rid us of any influence of Babylon in our life, any trap of comfort that restrains us from going all in with you to build your kingdom, to be aware of what you're doing in our generation. And with all eyes closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you died today, if you would be in heaven, we always close service as a church family proclaiming that Jesus is our Lord, that we believe he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose three days later. And as we put our faith and trust in him, he makes us new. And we have assurance of heaven with all eyes closed and head bowed. If you wanna say that prayer with us, would you raise your hand boldly before the Lord? Amen, amen, I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Church family, let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on that cross for my sins and rose three days later. And today I confess that he is my Lord. Jesus, take leadership in my life. I know you take me as I am, but I want to get rid of all the Babylon in my life. Lord, show me how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.